really do. You're a 21-year-old punk fucking kid. This grandpa's given you everything all your fucking life. You've never had a car payment, a house payment. Everything you live in was given to you by grandpa. You fucking don't know what it's like to work for a fucking living like I do. To bust my fucking ass and do what I do. And you know what, Sean? You fucked me, and that's the way you got it. But you know what? Your grandpa's money will run out someday, and you'll have to feast for yourself. Get a fucking job, you piece of shit. Welcome to Behind the Smoke Podcast, Barbecue War Stories. My name is Sean Walchef with Cali Comfort Barbecue. We are recording above the butcher shop in beautiful Spring Valley with my man Derek Marceau from Valley Farm Market. Hello. Hello, hello. hello. It is awesome today, man. It's uh, great, great weather again, like we always say here in San Diego. But, you know, the last, I don't know, last week it got up to like 98 out here in Spring Valley. So kind of uh, excited that the weather cooled down a little bit and now... We're uh, back in the beautiful Southern California weather. Yeah, for those of you tuning in to the for the first time, uh, this is a business and digital marketing podcast. is brought through the eyes of barbecue entrepreneurs. Uh, Derek and I are fortunate to have so many opportunities because of barbecue, uh, because of his butcher shop and our barbecue restaurant. And you know, one of the most amazing things in life is when you have those aha moments and those moments where you get goosebumps. Uh, I was reading, uh, the birth of a brand by Brian Smith, the founder of UGG, who is our guest today. And right when I opened up the book, I got goosebumps. Um, what he was saying in his book about his journey, it hit home and it hit home hard. Uh, and it wouldn't be if it wasn't for Rich Brocchini, yeah. who was on this podcast, um, third alarm fire. Uh, yep. If it wasn't for him, he wouldn't have introduced us to uh, our guest today. And to have an iconic worldwide brand um, like UGG to get down to the things that we started this podcast. We started this podcast to talk about the whys, to talk about the struggles, to talk about that voicemail that was a former business partner of mine. That's why we started this podcast. And yeah, just you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm that grateful. authentic feel to, you know, get it out there, what goes on in business. You know, everyone wants to think that things are so exciting and you just basically a, a rich person who sits up on his perch and um, gets to collect all the money. And it's not always about that, but it's the why and embracing the process is why we get so excited. And I am pumped. I, I mean, I honestly, yeah, I've never, I haven't read a business book that's inspired me since I read Behind the Arches by John Love, um, which wasn't written by Ray Kroc. It was a, the McDonald's story, but the amount of detail and depth and access. I mean, when you're, when you, when you're reading a book and you're like, I can't believe that they just wrote that. He's pulling us into the story. He's sure. pulling us into that entrepreneurial journey. And uh, Brian, we're honored to have you here today, a re world-renowned speaker, um, for you to take the time to come out to Spring Valley and spend some time with Derek and I. We're, we're truly grateful, and uh, I know our listeners are as well. Hey, just, just from meeting you guys, I think this is going to be my best interview ever. <laughs> oh, I like it. That's, like uh, it. That, that's a lot to live up to. That's going to be a, a I big think, one. I think we're going to go places that I don't <laughs> normally go on the radio. I like it. That's, I like it. Uh, that's, why we start, that's why we love podcasting. Uh, podcasting is a place where um, audio allows us to share information and share stories with people all over the world, people that uh, want to build business and that have the entrepreneurial bug and they, you know, they just might not be ready to start. Cool. How yeah. did you, how did you start? Well, I uh, was sort of brought up as, you know, with my 
parents wanted me to be safe. Uh, they, I chose to be an accountant, or they chose for me <laughs> to be an accountant. They, they chose for you to be. And uh, it took me ten years of study because I did it. I worked in the daytime and uh, studied at night. It took me ten years to graduate, and I quit the same day. Really? Yeah, I hated it, and uh, I always felt that there was something inside that I wanted to do for mm-hmm. myself and. I was uh, living in Perth at the time. Uh, that's on the west coast of Australia, and I was uh, just, you know, thinking around for a couple of weeks, trying to figure out what am I going to do. And I remember opening up the cover of, uh, you know, ripping the cellophane off to Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon." And, <laughs> yeah, and I put it on the second song. I was, you know, tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And I just went, shit, he's talking about me. (laughs) And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. (laughs) You missed the starting gun. And as soon as I heard that, I just got the goosebumps, you know, and I went, shit. I thought of all my friends tracking off to partnerships in the accounting business and other friends who'd started out of school, you know, 10 years ago and they had good businesses. And I went, God, I've been running on the spot for 10 years. And so that inspired me to sort of figure out what can I do. And in a meditation one day, I thought, you know, goosebumps again. I I thought, oh, shit, all the big trends are coming out of California. I'm going to go to California and find the next big thing and bring it back to Australia and get the jump on everybody, you know. And uh, within like two weeks, I, I arrived in LA with my surfboard and my suitcase and, nice, and nice. Uh, rented a little house in, in Santa Monica. And uh, I'd always dreamed of surfing Malibu, you know, so I, I just went straight there and surfed like for a couple of months, you know, still all the time looking for some new business, but, uh, you know, never finding it. And then it's about October, the beginning of October, November, uh, the water had got cold and the, you know, and so I pulled out my sheepskin boots that I'd brought from Australia and I was on the beach pulling the boots on and I go, shit, I got goosebumps again. You know, <laughs> I went, oh my God, there are no sheepskin boots in America. And one in two Australians had some sort of sheepskin footwear, you know, so I just thought, man, I'm going to be instant millionaire. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so, so my buddy and I, you know, we said, you know, let's go into business. So I got back to the house and, and we did some research and called up a manufacturer in Western Australia and bought six pairs of samples and, uh, you know, we... Got him a couple of, you know, about a week later, and uh, Doug was going to be the salesman. I was terrified of sales. <laughs> what was your starting? How much money did you have to start? Well, we had, we had to borrow 500 bucks. There you go, 500 the, bucks. For the See, that's all you need. <laughs> all, all you need is 500 bucks, a billion-dollar brand. Yeah. No problem. And uh, anyway, Doug you know, came back after a week or two on the road. We had like 150 business cards from all of these you know, shoe retailers and not a single order. And he said, Brian, they, they, they tell me I'm crazy trying to sell sheepskin in California. <laughs> but I knew he was, you know, I knew that I understood the logic, but it was wrong because Australia's climate's exactly like California. And so when you're an entrepreneur, you have to sort of pivot. Every time you hit a wall, you've got to figure out a way around it, under it, mm-hmm. over it, whatever. I call it pivoting. Yeah. And so I pivoted and thought, well, how come all my friends up at Malibu think this is the best idea in the world? And it struck me, oh, my God, they all surf and they all been down to Australia 
on a surf trip and they brought four or five pairs of boots back for their buddies. So within the surf community, Ugg was, you know, well, the sheepskin boots, not the brand, but the sheepskin boots were really well known. Mm -hmm. And so we just decided, okay, let's switch gears and we'll go after the surf shop. So, you know. That was a demographic you wanted to go after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Doug, it was like the easy, easy, easy entry, right? Right. Sure. Low hanging fruit. Yeah. So, so. Doug took San Fernando Valley and I took, you know, the beaches from, from Malibu down to Mexico, basically. That's a good route. Yeah. And I remember first shot was Con Surfboards in Santa Monica and I walked in with my you know, little samples and he goes, oh my God, sheepskin boots, man, they're great. You know, my friends all got them. They rave about them. What are you doing with them? I said, well, I'm thinking of importing them into America. Oh man, you're going to make a fortune. Those things are so fantastic. You know, and this happened every shop I went into from, you know, Santa Monica all the way down through, you know, Newport, Laguna, you know, San Diego. And Doug was getting the same reaction in the valley. So we, we, uh, met back at my little house in Santa Monica and said, shit, you know, we're going to, you know, going to be instant millionaires. You know, <laughs> we, we need some inventory. You right. Know? And, uh, it, we never thought that, you know, we hadn't asked for an order. Because I mean, we didn't right. we didn't have any industry. Yeah. What, what, what was the point? You know, people were just patting you on the back, yeah. telling you, "Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea." Yeah. So we we you've heard that saying that once you start out on a path, the universe will conspire to work with you. Absolutely, it's, it's, it's ancient. It's, it's thousands of years old. Well, we were talking about needing investors, and my roommate overheard us, and he says, "Oh, there's some guys at my office, you know, looking for investments." And so just like that, without writing a business plan, we raised 20 grand, which really? wow. in today's terms is about 70 grand, you know? Were they, were they, they're all from Southern California too? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just, they, they had other interests that were throwing off a lot of cash. They needed to spend the cash sure. somewhere. And so we, uh, you know, got the 20 grand and we sent it down to uh, the, the factory and ordered 500 pairs of boots. And, uh, they arrived about, a month later, so it's now the you know, middle and end of November, and uh, so we, Doug and I, loaded up our cars. Yeah, <laughs> he went out to the valley. I took the same store. You do whatever you got to do went, when you're went, when went you're down, starting out. Yeah. Whatever the fuck you have to do, load it up and make it happen. That's exactly what we did. So we went down to you know, I went back to Con Surfboard, and he goes, "Oh, well done, man, but you're going to make a fortune." But you know, we couldn't sell them in our store. We just sell surfboards and trunks and. Sandals, and but but don't worry, you're gonna make a fortune. Don't, <laughs> don't just, worry about it. But you, but you can't I come just, in here. Just went, oh shit, you know. And I went up to the next one. Oh, well done, Brian. But you know, we just sell surfboards and bikinis and trunks. Yeah, they're way too expensive for us. You you should try the shoe stores. And this happened all the way down the coast. And same for Doug. And we met back at my little house in Santa Monica again at the end of the weekend. You know, our first year's sales. For Ugg was 28 pairs. 28 really? pairs. 28 pairs. It turned out to be exactly a thousand dollars. That's was, incredible. Which was a, a fluke. But, but, you know, as disappointing as that was, um, it, it sort of set up a theme for me that, that I eventually wrote about in the book, you know, The Birth of a Brand. And that is that you can't give birth to adults, right? right. Every business, every sitcom on TV, every, 
hamburger joint, you know, every, every you know, butcher shop starts with someone conceiving it first mm-hmm. and then taking action as like buying the first product. Like the birth of Ugg was buying six pairs of samples. Sure. And uh, it's the action that's the hard part because people have great ideas all the time. Yeah. They're like, well, this I have this great idea, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna tell someone about it because I don't want them to steal it. Oh man, let let's talk about that in a second because okay. that's super important. Yeah. So anyway, we we ended up, you know, um, when I when I was thinking of writing this book, I thought, you know, you can't give birth to adults. You know, everything. You, you conceive it, you, you take the first action, which is birth, and then it, the, here's the worst part. It just goes into this horrible infancy. Every business will, every startup will, and, and you, you just got to keep feeding it and changing diapers, feeding it, changing diapers. Yep. You know? mm-hmm. And now and again, you might get a giggle, but, you know. Sure. Yeah. Or you might get a voicemail like I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so unfortunately, that's where so many entrepreneurs give up because they think they've failed. Right. But you have to hang, if you believe in your product, you have to hang in or your service even. And it'll eventually hit the toddling stages where, you know, people are writing articles about you and the first customers are buying and the word is spreading, you know. And that goes pretty quickly to the youth, which is the best phase because, you know, you got consistent orders coming in, consistent production, consistent customer service, accounting and billing, and everything's clicking, you know. And you can run a business from, you know, one or two million up to 25 million in that youth phase. Mm-hmm. But if it's a really good product or service, you're going to hit the teenage years, and you remember when you wanted to be every party in town. Right? Right? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, I was trying uh, to throw every party in town. Yeah, it's like it's like well, you want to in in business, you want to be in every trade show, you know, across the country. You want to be in every big box retailer or every big distribution thing, and it it can kill you instantly. Your success can be a, a killer. And so it's a super dangerous phase when you get to teenage years, but eventually you mature and becomes a manageable business. But that was the life cycle that, you know, that led me to write the book. And, and it's turned out to be really impactful for so many entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, I like that too, because you can even think about that, like for the, for the trees too. Like, I mean, you can plant a tree. And then it's not going to, you know, put out the fruit that you want for in the first year, yeah, first two years. Absolutely. They say it's going to take three, four. Those, some of these avocado trees that you have, I mean, they're not putting out the avocados you want until year eight. That's and, right. You know, so yeah. You, you have to make sure that you're okay yeah. going through and trusting that process that you have to go through. It, and it is a process, and it's so natural. It's it's part of nature. Yeah. You know, business is exactly it, it's growth. You know? Yeah. Look, look, at, we're we're sitting here on on a. You know, butcher shop that was started or grocery shop that started in the 50s, you know, yeah. you know, 60, 70, 70 years ago. I mean, right. you know, the, the, those roots are so deep that it's going to be impossible to sort of, you'd have to make a catastrophic bad decision to, sure. to screw it up. Right. You know? Absolutely, and I'm sure I'm capable of doing that. But I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it at a minimum. I'll try to say something yeah. before that happens. If I'm doing that, just uh, please let me know. I will. So I, uh, I will. Brutal honesty. Uproot us real quick. Yeah. No, I get it though. That's um, you know we talk about the process a lot, and it's this instant gratification that people want a lot of times. That yeah. we it's there's not a lot of um, substance behind that. So that instant gratification is not as fulfilling as when you do something for the longevity. And then you see that thing grow, like you're saying, that the little infant turning into the kid and turning into the teenager. It's like, man, this is like, 
you can sit back and hopefully you were able to take that time yeah. and, and look and say, man, look what we're doing. How, yeah. how yeah. cool is this? And, and while we're on that, you know, this is a really good warning for everybody listening. Yeah, we, we, we're bombarded on, on the internet right now with all these, hey, I just made $4 million. I can teach you how to do the same, you know? And, and I made it in three weeks, <laughs> right? And, and you, you, you feel so inadequate that you're not as clever as they are. Because right. they made you know three or four million dollars in three weeks, but what they're not telling you is that they failed for fifteen years yes. and learned the ropes, right. and, and then suddenly one thing they did clicked and it worked, and they made four million dollars in three weeks. You know, but you know you. you, you you got to put in the, the time and the effort and build the roots. Otherwise, because if, if a guy did that in three weeks and didn't have a history, he'd lose it in five weeks. And, Absolutely. And he'd not even know why he made it in the first place. So, so don't be, um, don't feel inadequate that, you know, you get bombarded by all these, these brilliant business people. That's bullshit. It is you bullshit. Know, it's total bullshit. So just, just relax and just keep doing your thing day by day. Well, you have to appreciate the grind. You yeah. Know, and that, those are the things that it's so hard when you're getting sued and you're trying to find a way to right. pay for attorneys and oh. trying to get insurance coverage, you know, for our restaurant and trying to fit. How do I keep this business open? Yeah. You know, and those are the things. But if you don't go and put yourself out there like you did and you were willing to go to the trade shows, yeah. you know, with a product that there was no category for. Yeah. I mean, talk about the... Because that's like the hustle side where yeah. you were willing to go and you would be stationed next to the bathroom. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning it was exactly like that. And I felt I was always so embarrassed wheeling sheepskin boots into a action sports California trade show, you know, where it's full of bikinis and, you know. Uh, which that, which that scenery isn't bad either. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. And just on that subject, you know, when I started – Aerobics had just begun, so, uh -huh, that, yeah. so with all these models with these really tight bodies, you know, <laughs> nice. walking around, you know, modeling the swimsuits <laughs> and stuff, it was a fun environment, really, right? Because I was in my late twenties then, for you know, sure. Perfect. And uh, but yeah, I, you know, wheeling sheepskin boots into all these palm trees and sun was just a joke, but. Right. But you have to do it, you know. I mean, you dealt with rejection on a level that I just can't even imagine. Yeah. You know, Phil Knight with Nike. There's, I mean, he probably dealt with rejection. But what you were trying to do, create a new category to create yeah. a new brand. Yeah. It seemed incredible to you because you grew up in Australia. You grew up yeah. with it. Yeah. And, and every, you're trying and, to bring it to America. And I knew how big it would, it should be. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Phil Knight, you know, I read his book um, called Shoe Dog recently. And we were just talking about you can't give birth to adults. Mm -hmm. Would you believe the five, the first five years sales of ARG was greater than the first five years sales of Nike? No way. Really? Yeah, they went through oh everything my. I went through. Really? The, the rejection, the, the, those will never work. You know, the, the, they're not good running shoes. They'll never, they'll never work in America. Right. So he went through the same thing I did. Yeah. That's, uh, that's amazing. I mean, again, it just goes back to that, that process, just trusting that process and knowing that if you believe in it, you knew there was a market for it. You just had to figure out how do I, like, how do I show these people that they really do need these boots? Yeah. How do I, you know, these, these surfers, these guys, yeah. cause you, been, you were surfing your whole life, right? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And th that really is a good point to, it leads into the fact that every good entrepreneur, has to have some level of ignorance. Mm, right. <laughs> a lot of ignorance. Because otherwise, <laughs> not a lot, but some, some Enough, level of it, yeah. yeah. Because otherwise you wouldn't start, you know. Um, 
And the ignorance I had was I didn't understand that Americans didn't understand sheepskin. Like in Australia, you're born with sheepskin knowledge, right? Sure. And uh, we know in Australia that you can't rip it. It's the most rugged material there is. Uh, you can get it wet, but it still keeps you warm even when it's wet because uh, you know, it, when it's dry, it insulates. So your foot stays at foot temperature. You, know, you can be 110 degrees outside or minus 20 outside. Your foot's always going to be at foot temperature. And... You know, in America, that's, oh, it's hot, it's prickly, you know, we can't wear it in the wet because it's, you know, we got mud and slush here, you know. And and that was the biggest. It took me years to figure it out. But it, How did you figure it out? I was at a trade show um, in Las Vegas at a ski show. And I'd that's be, funny. I'd been that's there funny for, in and of itself. Yeah, really. <laughs> a ski show in Las Vegas. I'd, <laughs> I'd been there for five days and, and had written almost no orders. And... And it was on the last day this woman came by and, and I, uh, you know, she owned a bunch of she ski shops back east. And she said, oh, no, they'll, they'll never work for us. We have mud and we have slush and we, we need, you know, rubber boots and sorrels, you know. And I, and I got so frustrated. I said, look, take your shoe off and put this on, right? And she put it on and she goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. God, these are so comfortable. I could wear, I could sell these as after ski boots. And I go, duh, you know? Yeah. And she ordered 60 pairs. No way. And, and that changed the course of the whole business when I sure. realized, oh my God, they, you know, we can talk about it forever, but unless they experience putting a pair of boots on with bare feet, they're never going to get it. It's such an important, uh, such an important business example. I mean, just yeah. last weekend we did with Big Green Egg, they put on an egg fest where they actually recruit barbecuers to come out Derek did a class we did it all in behind this book but they're all using the big green egg right and until you use it you you're intimidated by it yeah you know and with you you're trying to tell people how incredible this this Ugg boot yeah. is and until they put it on just until, put the fucking until boot the on fucking yeah, man, just until the fucking manager of yeah. the store put it on yeah until then they became the brand ambassador Isn't because it? they told the customer all your rejections, everything that's going to come out of your mouth, just shut the fuck up and put the boot on. That's well. When we learned, when I learned that was, I told all my sales reps from then on, don't ever try and sell a pair of boots without unless they've tried one on. Yep. Right. Without don't, socks. Don't, don't even talk about it. Without socks. Yeah. Right? Without socks for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely need to try that because my feet sweat a lot uh -huh. naturally. Right. So I need to just do it. You need you, to do you, it. You'll be I did it. I had an. I had a blast. You'll I, be amazed. You won't sweat. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, sign me up. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I'm in. I went to Boot World down in San Diego, and I got these little baby Uggs for my son. But I tried on my first pair in preparation of this. Right. And I was like, it's fucking incredible. Oh, that's great. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah. So, so talk to us about maybe like your, what's the biggest obstacle you've had in your progression of growth so when you when you're talking about going from an infant to a child like where do you where was your biggest struggle um it, it was starting out was the the hard thing mm -hmm. and uh what remember i mentioned earlier the universe will conspire to work with you well look the universe is absolutely perfect it's in complete perfection and balance and movement and every, everything you could possibly want already exists. Right. Uh, everything totally exists. And I like to use this little story. You know, when's the last time you saw an advertisement for a refrigerator? 
you, look, look at these dumb faces. You right. don't, you don't yeah. recall, right? But if you needed a refrigerator on Saturday, you would start seeing advertisements everywhere. You would, you'd, you'd yeah. be in Starbucks and the classifieds would be spilled over the table and you'd, there'd, there'd be ads for refrigerators. You'd be driving down the street, you'll see an appliance store, there'll be refrigerators. Right. And so as soon as you put your attention on something, the information comes to you. Right. So this is a spe specifically for people starting out or wanting to start. They haven't got the guts to do it yet because they're not c convinced of it. They don't think they know enough about it. When I, when I become an expert, I'll start. Well, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. If you start, suddenly the information starts to come to you. Oh my God, I could use that. Oh, look at this. You know, it happened to me with, with Uggs. You know, I, I remember we would, just um, in the lawyer's office signing up that first 20 grand, you know, and on the tables this this magazine for action sports retailer, volume <laughs> volume one, issue one. No right? way. Right there. Yeah. Volume first, one, first, the first edition. First ever magazine for action sports. That, that, that industry didn't exist. And I went, yeah, well, there was no X Games went, at that time. That's perfect. That's, right. that's, that's my market, you know. They made it for me. Right. Now, had I not started, I would never have become aware of that, you know. Yeah. And, and, so, and if I was doing something like in a in totally different industry, I still wouldn't have seen that. It would have been there, just like the universe is perfect. Everything's there. But until you start on a path... You don't zero in on things that can help. And the, the universe will, will just keep bringing every time you come up with a decision, mate, you know, the information will be there. I mean, yeah. I, I love how you bring specific examples of that working in your life because yeah. it's happened in my life. And to read it in a business sense where you break it down with cash flow projections, with right. all the struggles, with, you know, the trademarks and everything else. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, on, on the side when you're working in the swap meet. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you're selling a brand that yeah. it, you've figured out a way to sell it. You're starting to sell it, yeah. but it's seasonal. That's right. You know, so literally yeah. you're, you want the weather in San Diego to be shitty. Yeah. And the weather's never shitty in that San is, Diego. That's so <laughs> funny. And so, so Derek, getting back to your question, uh, what, what was the hardest thing? Um, and, and, and this is the big breakthrough. It took several years, right? So the, the, the first year we sold that, you know, 28 pairs, a thousand dollars. thousand bucks. So we had to go, you know, I could give up there, but I, I really couldn't because I had my investors' money all tied up in <laughs> another 480 pairs in the bedroom, you know. So uh, I started doing swap meets and street fairs and I started selling out of the back of my van. I had a Dodge, awesome. Dodge van at Malibu Beach and it, the word of mouth was so powerful, you know, because everybody who did try them on and bought a pair you know, two days later, their buddies would be back. And, oh, I heard my buddies, you know, talking yep. about Uggs, you know. So the word of mouth was fantastic. So, you know, we did about five or 6,000 the next year and, and another summer, you know, summer jobs, scrubbing boats at Marina Del Rey. And then, nice. then the next season was, okay, I'm going to advertise. So I got some kids, you know, my friend's kids to pose as models and ran those ads in the, the reader and, you know. There you go, the reader. Surf, Surfer magazine. And, uh, you know, sales like 10,000. Uh, that was disappointing. So another summer job. Yep. And then this year I'm going to get, you know, models and pose them on the beach at Wind and Sea. So, there you go. So we got, you know, perfect hair, perfect clothing, perfect scenery, the sunset, the Uggs like front and center in the ads. 
and the sales like 20 grand that year so it was like another summer job <laughs> and this year i was working you know as a greenskeeper at singing hills golf course right? oh yeah which, which is which is like five miles have, from oh, yeah. here right? we're definitely going to circle back to the yeah. grass scheme because yeah and so that was uh um you know, when I was working on the golf course that summer, I thought, I'm definitely getting out of this business, you know, the UG business. It's too hard. And and then at the end of the year, you know, the, the first storm came through in October and, and I got home and the answering machine had like 20 messages on it from all the surf shop owners going, God, we need UG boots, you know, we want to drive down, you know. So I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm going to have to get back in business and these ads hadn't been working and I was talking to a surf shop buddy, you know, one of my retailers. Down, at, down South Coast, South right? Coast, yeah, yeah, down South Coast, yeah. South Coast, Ocean Beach. Ocean yeah. Beach. And, and, and Robbie says, oh, shut up, Brian. And he calls out, you know, these little grommets come out there in the back room and he says, hey, you guys, what do you think of UGG? And they all walked out going, oh, man, those UGGs, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads? Those models, they Ouch. can't surf. And Instantly, I realized I'm sending the wrong message to my target market. I, you know, even then, I knew how fake these ads were. We right. to- totally posed them. You posed them. Yeah. And uh, so, again, pivoting, I, I, I called up a buddy who was running the Scholastic Surf Association up in Orange County, and he gave me these two young kids, Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson. And so, instead of hiring an expensive photographer, I just took my little Canon Sure Shot, and we went surfing at Trestles and, yeah. and, and up at uh, San Onofre and then Black's Beach in La Jolla. And these are two iconic surf walks. You know, they're about a mile long and a fantastic surf when you get there. And I just, just shot these random photos of you know, walking to and from the beach. And I ran those in October, November, December, and the sales went to 220,000. It's incredible. From 20,000 to 220,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because I nailed the image and it, that was the beginning of me understanding advertising and marketing where you, you never sell your product, right? You sell the benefits or the emotion or the, the visceral feeling that, that your product, you know, will, will, um, give to the consumer. For instance, if you have a software program that saves time, you don't take a photo of your software package, right? <laughs> You, you show a photo of some guy in the Bahamas drinking a martini with all the time he's saving from, from your product. So you bring in the emotion or the benefit in. And I became a master. You know, I, 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 I took advertising and marketing as a, as a passion. And from then well, on. Yeah. When you see, when you yeah, see what it did to the business. Yeah. From then incredible. on, every photo had to evoke it and emotion like shit i wish i was in that ad with mm-hmm. that chick you know right. or i wish i was in the ad with mike parsons you know yep. i'd love to be walking down that road at trestles you know when when i figured that out then that was the beginning of the a really good ride for ug it was Did- a lot more of an authentic feel yeah and people can feel that it wasn't forced exactly <clears throat> yeah. when you can feel that we were talking about it last time on the podcast but it's it's when you can be yourself and put yourself out there and, and know that the I'm sure right when you did it, you felt that it was right. You yeah. know, the first times when you're doing the photo shoots, you're forcing it, you're trying to get people. But once you finally got the right people, you're like, that's it. Yeah. Because sure. you could feel it. And you know, if you can feel it, it's going to be an authentic feeling for everybody else. That, that's right. But even with the ads, you know, in the previous years, I felt at the time that this was it. Yeah, you know, this was it. This, this model is so cute. This yeah. is going to really, let's pose her here, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. But it wasn't authentic. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, the UGG girls, and because that kind of helped as well. Yeah, they're... are they here? <laughs> no. Is there any UGG girls? There, there there was, I got a lot. Of, well, okay, we're gonna tell, get tell off us. get off track. I never yeah. talk about things like this. But, <laughs> oh, I, I but, was bringing that up but, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I mentioned, you know, that was the beginning of the aerobics uh, era, and so uh, all the models that that we used were were really good looking and uh, really fit bodies you know and uh we started advertising uh using these models and and um at the same time we we took a couple of them to the trade show for this you know the ski show in las vegas and again like we we really hadn't got any momentum at, at las vegas at the time this is the same year that that woman bought all the product but <clears throat> the We'd been through that you know, four or five days of no sales, and then the girls went out to a disco one night, and they were wearing little short shorts and a halter tops, you know, which was a you know the the thing at the time, and wearing tall white UGG boots, right? And I wasn't there, but I heard the story. But it was a, it was a disco where they had cameras all around the disco taking you know, images of all the dancing. It, the it wasn't like 2018 yeah. where and, it was and personal. It, it yeah. was actually, And it know. was, you know, they, they had screens all around the, the, the room, you know, it was a huge disco, screens up there showing everybody dancing. Well, one, Patty, one of the girls, you know, she, she uh, went down and, in, in, you know, into this crouching mode and then jumped up and put her heart, uh, arms up in the air and her halter top fell down and, <laughs> and, she, and she got caught nice she got Solid. caught on the on the you know the the cameras and then they started playing it over and over and over again all night and everyone's going oh that's the ug chick you know that's the ug girl and next day at the booth you know it was just three or four deep that's you know, with guys coming around to see the ug girls that's girls. that's and the viral video before it was a viral video isn't that weird yeah, yeah that's exactly what it was and that, along with that other woman that came in and, and wrote that big order, we, we ended up doing a really huge amount of business that last day from, from that fluke. It, That's it, incredible. It's really interesting, yeah. Um, before we go, talk to me about the name. Before I do that, okay. let me, let me tell you that the plus and the minus of using all those, those, you know, it was right at the beginning of feminism. Okay. Right? The first feminists sure. were getting real vocal and, I didn't realize it, but most of the buyers for the big sporting goods chains were all women, and they were totally turned off yeah. by all these ads we were running with the big chests and the, you know, and uh, it took years for me to get back into that uh, market, you know, yeah, I'm in, sure. into those stores. I had to do a lot well, of those are things. Peddling. Those are those external factors in business that you never think you never think about. It's just something where. You know, religion, politics, the current state of the world. Yeah, they you can't plan for that. Yeah, you just deal with I it. I had no idea, but you know, I learned learned a good lesson there. Sure, but it was still it's you know the plus outweighed the minus. And as far as when you were going along the journey, were you did you map out what your goals were as far as getting into Nordstroms or getting into these or? Did that just come along the way? Yeah, I didn't map it out because I just assumed everybody should have them. Right? <laughs> um, and I kept going to Nordstrom and every year they go, oh, we don't sell those, we sell shoes. And I, you know, I go, give me a break. You know, right. it took seven years. Seven, to get, seven different notes. Well, there's probably an, a lot more different notes that they told you. To but. get an order. It, it took seven years to get an appointment Wow. with Nordstrom. Yeah. But um, I, I understood eventually why. Uh, I was in 
Chicago at the buying office of Montgomery Ward, which was a big shoe retail. They were, they were a big mall distribute, you know, shop and they had a great shoe department. And I just gave him a best sales pitch to the buyer and he just looked, you know, he leaned back in his chair and crossed his arms and goes, Brian, why are you here? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I want to get an order for the California stores. And he goes, Brian, don't you get it? We're the elephants. We don't move till the mice are running around under our feet. And instantly I got what he meant, you know, until all the specialty stores were just blowing out of Uggs, the big mall stores weren't going to take a risk. Gotcha. And, and so uh, once once I finally, you know, did the advertising with Mike Parsons and Ted and we hit that 200,000 and the next year was like 600,000 and suddenly we're in the millions, then the malls all started to come around. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the same kind of concept with uh, us. You have to kind of create a stir for barbecue. If yep. you you got to go to the competitions. You have to go to the farmer's markets. You have to go do all those things. And you have to create a brand where people want it until then it's going to be like, okay, then you can start up in a brick and mortar and get bigger. And then have, That is so wise. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, I yeah. Appreci- you, you talked about the surf shops and how there was they were upset that another surf shop in the same market yeah was selling the the uggs that was super interesting yeah tell us about that yeah 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 and and i was always fiercely loyal to the first customers because you know without them i wouldn't have got off the ground Mm -hmm. but it got to be especially in southern cal um where the demand was outstripping each you know every single you know you know retailer and so let's take Huntington Beach. Or no, 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 let's take Homosa, right? We had ET Surfboys, one of my first, and Beckers, you know, they, they came on early. And then, you know, a third one competition wanted to start up and, and, and these other retailers are going, well, don't sell to them. You know, we're, we're the ones that gave you a break. Don't sell. But I, I, you know, it was a heart-rending decision, but, but I finally did open up the third one. And suddenly, all three stores started selling twice as much right. as they had before. And the same thing happened down in Newport, and the same thing happened in Ocean Beach, you know. And it, it seemed like when that third retailer came on, everybody doubled. Mm-hmm. And it was that, that whole mentality of, well, if, if it's just there once, that's, that's a fad, it's a fluke, you know. Mm-hmm. But if three are doing it, well, this must be something substan- substantive, you know. So, so then the credibility came with having a bunch of retailers. Yeah, the rising tide. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah we it's, talk pheno- about it's an that interesting phenomenon. That, that's why you drive up the freeway and there's, there's a car dealership area and there's 20 brands of cars there, right? It's because they, you know, people want to come when they know that, oh, this is legit. You know, that's that's what draws the people. Yeah, yeah. we've always admired what the craft beer industry has done here in San Diego. Yeah, that's a good that's example. That's something that we've tried to do with our barbecue is, you know, it's a West Coast barbecue movement. The more right. that craft is craft barbecue is recognized throughout up and down California, yep. Oregon, Washington, yep. the better it is for all of us. Yep. Um, because it's about education. It's about, totally, you know, yeah. it's the competition. Oh, we're better. I mean, we're a mile away from Derek. Yeah. And, you know, for since we started our, our friendship and our, now our partnership, it's it's been it's been nothing but authentic, honest. And how can I help Valley Farm? And he's how can I help Cali Comfort? Gotcha. And yeah. Now that we've started doing this podcast <clears throat> and meeting other entrepreneurs that are also in barbecue that um, that have a barbecue team or they're in catering. How can we help them? Sure. And it's really just been it's been really, really cool to see. And I I notice you 
talked about the surf shops in the same way in your yeah. book, which is cool. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's an evolution, isn't it? It's crazy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's just best not to cannibalize each other. You know, if you can make sure that you're, again, what we talked about before the podcast, but if you can provide a service for people and just be authentic, that's what it's about. When you get like-minded people, it's hard for a lot of people, like you were talking about the surf shops, even when we first started approaching barbecue restaurants to have them on the on the podcast, and it's like, well, what do they want from me? Exactly, what, what, and, yeah. And, and once they got to sit down with us for an hour, they realized that this wasn't a transactional thing. It was just us trying to help each other yeah. to move forward, and I think we're a lot better together, and it doesn't need to be this tribal mentality. Yeah. We can I, all move, move I've always thought that co- you know, cooperation will always beat out competition. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, and, it's definitely true. And it's the th- it's the like minded people. And when you put yourself in uncomfortable positions, you know, for us bringing in a barbecue restaurant owner, we're learning from them. Sure, you know, which is uh, which is so cool. Sure. and then we become brand ambassadors for their for their business. I love it. I didn't think that happened, but that's great. It, it's yeah, it's happening. And well, it's, it didn't happen, it, and, and it hasn't until we just said, you know, what what's wrong with this industry? Why isn't it not? Why is it not growing? Sure, and. We can't be out here preaching unless we're doing it ourselves. So gotcha. I can't go tell everyone, hey, we all need to come together if I'm trying to fight the guy right down the street exactly, from me. Exactly, yeah. So and it, it's a weird cliche, but it's like I have to be the change I want to see, right? I yeah. need to be that person. So um, when I thought about that and Sean is so like-minded that we became together, now we're just like basically – attached to the hips and our, our wives hate us uh, <laughs> but that we do everything together so this it's um but it's it's that movement that we want to mo- take and it's about serving others and doing more for a bigger sure. vision than it is just us monetizing on something that we can do sure it's not about that's that's not my end goal and that's not what motivates me yeah so i found out i'm lucky i'm 35 years old at a fairly young age that it's not always about that you know money it's it's more about um giving back and doing stuff in that that realm it's weird but it always comes back to help you yeah yeah that's that's uh, definitely my my thing well let's uh let's talk about what what (coughs) what derek was asking about earlier the 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 name the name nobody knows where that name came from yeah there's a couple of old guys in australia who claim that they invented it but (laughs) but nobody can prove it and in australia um before I even came to America, you know, it's, it, in, that's 40 years ago, believe it or not. This is the 40th anniversary wow. of Hug this year. Is it really this year? Yeah. What, yeah. what day? Oh, well, was, this it, season, this yeah, season. October, November, December. You don't remember the, the day? That, it's not in your planner? Well, yeah. <laughs> I bet it is in the planner, right? Yeah. It, it's well, got to be. It, 78 was when I thought when of was, it. When's the birthday? Yeah. It'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll be October. October? Yeah. Is when I started putting the wow. order into Australia. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So um, before I came here, that you could go into most little towns in Australia and there'd be a sheepskin shop, right, mm-hmm. like a manufacturer, and they'd be making car seats or bed underlays or, you know, sheepskin dusters or Ugg boots, right? And they'd you'd look up in the yellow pages and it'd be UG or UGG or UGH. Kind of like barbecue. Yeah, Barbecue's or U- UGHS, like you know. And, and so it was just another item that they made and nobody registered it, you know, for the longest time. And, you know, eventually one guy did, but the, the, the law in Australia is first guy in with your 10 bucks gets the name, you know, <laughs> but in America, it's, you have to be 
prove that you're the first one to to start using the name and continuously use it. If you if you abandon it, you know you lose it. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to register UGG uh, when I started bringing them in because I, I I wanted to call them UG. Now and, it's UGG all uppercase or uh, it it's. There's all different styles of all using it. Based but, on the, the but, logo yeah, and the trademark. But the UGG is, is the trademark. Mm-hmm. And I registered that when I first started and never went out of business. So I, I uh, you know, owned the rights for that. And then eventually, you know. Well, you, had, also, you also had some troubles along the way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> as, as the business grew, you know, there was one woman who had registered UGHS. She was up in Oregon, another Australian woman. And yeah, that was a that was a bad time. We you know I, I we tried to make it work, you know, but then she threatened to sue us, you know, because by this time I was in the men's department at Nordstrom's and she was in the women's department with her product, you know, and uh, even the Nordstrom salespeople were, were, you know, if you're in women's, you're going, oh, those other ones, they're no good, you know, and if you're in men's, oh, those other ones, they're no good, you know, so it was just bad for everybody, so. We ended up settling that, you know, where, where, you know, we, we agreed to accentuate the Australian made and she accentuated the, the American made because she was making them up in Oregon. Sure. But that, that was a horrible period. Well, I mean, I, one of the things, like I said, I mean, the transparency that you have in talking about Valerie and, yeah. you know, what she did along the way and, you know, all the litigation, typically when you're putting content out, you know, some lawyer is going to stop you from publishing that. And yeah. I applaud you for sharing that with us because, you know, those are the things that were so difficult for us when we got sued for an ADA American with Disabilities Act right. lawsuit where right. we're running an advertisement for ladies night promotion. Right. So we're running a ladies night to get more people to the bar. Right. And we got sued by three men who said that we were discriminating oh because they weren't getting the $2 off the martini that the women were getting. Oh my God. You know, but those are the things that you yeah. don't, no one teaches you that in business. School. No. And, that, and that's what I tried to bring into the book. Yeah, was you just did. the detail, you know, well, she, uh, she's at the trade show yelling at you. Yeah. <laughs> screaming at so you, funny. telling you to break your booth I'm down. I'm going to sue. If you, if you, <laughs> if you don't get him out of here, I'm going to sue, you know, yep. she's going to sue the industry, you know? And, you know, thank God my, my lawyer was, you know, He'd been one of the members of the Ski Industry Association for 20, 30 years, you know, and he just said, look, this guy's staying. You just make it work. Right, you know? sure. And uh, that was, yes. And that was, again, one of those lucky, lucky breaks, which which come to you once you've started out on your path. But you, you know? also talk about the, the persistence that you had to continue your path and not to focus on the negative side. Yeah. And that's the toughest part about any lawsuit, you know. If you're in California, the chances of you getting sued and being in business are pretty high. They are, unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, which is why you have to make sure you have adequate insurance coverage. But it's so important to not focus because as entrepreneurs, you want to fix the problem. Yeah. And there's no fixing. You know, once you get into that legal dispute, that's what the attorneys are for. That's what your insurance is for. It's a system of paperwork. Yes. It's it's like almost impossible. It's like quicksand can't get out of it and it sucks all your energy it's horrible yeah it's so negative and so destructive Mm -hmm. yep well that's uh that's something i didn't know about the the ugg boots they were actually most of them were called ugg boots i didn't know it was uh, like a style 
yeah, it was it was a descriptive term right. for sheepskin boots. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Because usually it's like when you're first to market, like your Kleenex, yeah, you get known as Kleenex. That's but right. you actually trademarked what was actually the name already, yeah. which is cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So, do you still uh, get to get all you know the the different styles? Because I know there's a lot of styles that are, are coming out of, of UGG boots. It's yeah. not just the traditional. Yeah, well, you know, after I sold it, the uh, the new what year was that? That was in late nineties, ninety five. It was um, ninety six. By the time and you we sold, sold it for it how out. much? I, we don't talk about yeah. that, but m- many millions. You know, I, I made it. Fortunate. From five hundred to multiple five hundred dollars, five hundred dollars. Yeah, made made millions. A couple, my, a little my, bit of blood and sweat my, along my the way. My investors <laughs> made a lot of money as well. Yeah, um, but uh, you know the. But what was your question again? That was about was, all the new styles. Oh, are. that's right. The new styles. The new company um, has taken it to a level that I don't think I was capable of doing. You know, I, I got it up to you know fifteen million. It was looking like a twenty million season coming down the barrel at us, and mm-hmm. and I knew I was going to have trouble financing it. So that's the main reason I sold. But but the other reason is that that I am great at beginning and starting companies. I mm-hmm. love. The risk. I love the chaos. I love the unpredictability. Sure. I love solving problems. That to me is a lot of fun. And that's what I specialize now. I, I help entrepreneurs, uh, with their businesses. But, uh, you know, we'd got to the point where, you know, we're having committee meetings about every decision, you know, that we've got all these staff and all these different positions in the company and, and you know, I'd I'd say, for instance, okay, I'm going to bring in raspberry as the next color, right, <laughs> for next year. But we got to go through a product development meeting, and and so you'd have five people in there, and you'd come out, and you know, the color turns out to be gray for next year because sure. it's safe and nobody gets offended, you know. Right. And that sort of you know element of the business and all these meetings for every damn thing. Well, tell tell us about just, the one just, story in there yeah. about the Rush Limbaugh, the radio ad. Oh. And, I mean, you were going to get Crocodile Dundee to, oh, yeah. to be the brand ambassador. Yeah, no, my, 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 and this is a, a thing. Yeah, you have to be careful when when you grow. You know, you, it's very difficult. You can't double a business every year without extra capital from outside. It's, it's, it's impossible to do from internal funds. Yeah. And so I was all the time. You know, every two or three years, I'd be doubling and needing new investors. And quite often, the with the investor comes. You know. Um, well, we're going to have this guy come in the company and we're going to have this guy come in and look after this part of the company. So you get all these marketing people right. coming in who know nothing about the product. Right. And and so, yeah, one, one of these people you know, with the last round of investors was, was like total groupie of Rush Limbaugh. And to me, that was the, the antithesis of what I was trying to build, which was casual comfort. And he was, <laughs> he was so, you know, starched shirt and tie and and radical and uh so you know we we said okay well let's bring it up in the next board meeting right so, so i take it you're not a fan of board meetings no <laughs> so i end up you know putting you know my big you know i just did a whole summary of why we shouldn't be doing rush limbaugh and who who was a better alternative like you know Paul Hogan for you know Crocodile Dundee and sure. stuff like that, and and I was doing it from a marketing sense of who people would identify with, and 
And so I got there early in the morning um, before this meeting and I walked into the office next to the boardroom and there are these couple of guys, you know, and they already had their plane tickets to New York and they had tickets for Rush Limbaugh. And and I realised, shit, they've made this, they've made their minds up before yeah. we have the board meeting. Yeah. And so when I went in there and I gave my pitch, it was like, it was pointless because I knew mm. that, that it was just words, empty words coming out of my mouth and they were going to do what they were going to do anyway. And so that's another reason why I, I really don't like being involved in big companies because most decisions in a board room are made before the board meeting ever starts. And you got to be, you know, if you're going to be in that environment, you better know that. Yeah. And you better get your allies on side and on board and make your own decisions before that meeting starts. That's stuff you don't learn in business college. You know, that, yeah. that's, yeah. that's boots on the ground bullshit that you boots have to. Boots on the ground the only, bullshit. The only way you can learn it is to, to get beat up and go through that stuff. Sure. So, so if you're listening, just know that, that you don't get, you know, blindsided by a, a, a meeting where you're not in control of what's happening. Yeah, that's uh, something that Sean and I, we talk about because we're in a position for uh, our start of growth and, uh, you know, trying to, uh, we at some point it's like, how much is too much? And uh, so being able to do what we do and still have enough control, you know, rolling out 50 different concepts like this throughout right. California probably isn't in my right. my vision. Um now, if my sons choose to do that later in life, and that's what they want, but it's for me, it's um, I'm I'm very I like the small group as well. I'm not trying to get too too big, and um, just having that feel. And then when I it, it doesn't it's not fun anymore if you're not kind of in control. Exactly, of what it exactly, is. yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I like to wake up and still have that fun, <laughs> and like you talked about being able to pivot when you want. We're a, a single unit uh, grocery store right yep. now, and it's like, man, when the market changes, people are going towards MCT oil now and the ketogenic diets and this right. and that. And it's like, boop, here I go, and I can go do that. Beautiful. And they can't do it over here in these commodity stores, but I can do it here at the uh, little independent grocery yeah, store. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. So yeah. we have to make sure that we're again boots on the ground, listening to our consumers, yep. watching what's going on the trends that are trending and go after it that way but that's that's what excites that's me. that's critical yeah that's 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 the epitome of customer service yeah, yeah that's that's really what excites me um, talk about customer service because that's a theme throughout the book and something that i know is it's near and dear it's to your heart huge it, it, it's probably the most important thing to be talked about in running a business is, is your customers because they they pay you yeah they drive that they drive the engine absolutely and uh it was funny because I, I used to hate selling. I, I was an accountant, and the only time I got involved with salesmen was when I was auditing used car yards, right? And I'd listen to the salesman in the next room talking about how they just ripped off the last guy that came. You know, oh, they, they sold him all this shit they didn't need, you know? And they were bragging about how ruthlessly they ripped off people, you know? So that was my attitude towards sales. You know, they're all takers. Right. And it was very difficult for me to start out selling Uggs. And, and originally, my buddy Doug was going to do it. If it, if it had it been me from the start, it would never have happened. But he was going to do it, but but it didn't work. So I ended up inheriting that. Mm -hmm. That. So, but there was a you know a, mostly embarrassment walking into every retailer and you know feeling inadequate and you know in, inconsequential but sure. but eventually after a few years 
I can remember it was in Encinitas surfboards and I thought, you know, wow, these guys just sold 80,000 bucks. They just ordered 80,000 bucks worth of boots from me last year. And I thought, well, they market up 100%, so they just made 80,000. And I thought that probably pays, for, you know, the rent's got to be 20,000 for the year. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, so that's, that's 60 left over. That's probably paid most of their staff for the year. And I thought, jeez, everything else they sell out of this store is pure profit. And I realized, my God, I'm a benefactor in this. I'm, I'm not taking anymore. I'm giving. I'm giving these guys the opportunity to make a ton of money. And that forever changed the way I looked at sales and, and customer service. Like I, I would walk into stores and, and, and I'm talking now when we're doing five or six million and we got sales reps all over the country. And I would travel with them and, you know, it didn't matter if the owner wasn't even there. We'd walk into these stores and we'd go to the little sheepskin section and I'd get rid of the size fives or the 13s, which I knew weren't going to sell real well. So I'd swap them out for sevens and eights. And because I didn't want retailers to have any leftover product every, sure. every season. And, uh, you know, after a while, it would just became second nature to be looking after these, these, you know, just, just serving all these customers. And, uh, that made it a pleasure to go out and be in the stores for, in, instead of being embarrassed to walk in. Now I was like enthusiastic, man. I, you know, this guy's, this guy's making a shitload of money from me. I, let, let's see how we can make more. You're establishing friends. Yeah. I mean, you were stop, you talk about people would call you for two pairs of Uggs. Yeah. And people would make fun of you for going to drive to deliver those Uggs. Yeah. And I, you just knew in your heart it, you had to do it, it. I just, yeah, everything was about the customer. Yeah. And then that, once you start going to the bigger stores, you have this entire force of yep. people that know who you are and know what your brand is and know what you represent. Yeah. And they'll go, they'll do anything for you. The loyalty was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, we can get into that part of the story, sure. how, how that paid off for me eventually, sure. you know, but, uh, yeah, that customer. So, and today, you know, everything's on the internet, you know, it's websites and, and it's, you know, clicks and, and it's so easy to lose track of your customers, mm-hmm. but it's, it's imperative that you don't, you have to reach out through the internet. I, I have a client who, uh, believe it or not, started down here in Spring Valley. No so, way. Yeah. She, really? She, she makes these lamb leather bags. It's a, it's a shoulder bag, mm-hmm. uh, with pouches on the side and, uh, and it's made out of lamb leather. What, what's the name of the company? It's called Sash. Sash. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show yeah, notes. Yeah. The, the, the website is thesashbag.com. Thesashbag.com. And uh, um, I'm in love with this product. In fact, I'm, I'm as psyched about this as I was with Ugg. Because wow. this is going to be that the says a lot. This is going to be Spring the next. Valley. Yeah. This is going to be the next fanny pack of the next decade. Wow. You know, it's, it's so good. And uh, we, we can talk a little bit more about that later. But there they are. There it is, yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, um, she ships probably 3,000 bags a month, mm-hmm. and there's not a single customer that gets a bag that, that does not receive a follow-up phone call within a week or so. Says, hey, did you get your bag? What do you think about you? Is the right colors That's good? Yeah, That's awesome. And, and she's got this, like, 40,000 followers, and she's got 4,500 that, that are, like, in this 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 like rabid fan group and from that she's got vip groups and you know levels of of loyalty and and 
she's just doing it brilliantly and, and it's all about customer service and and it's like you know she'll she'll do a thing on facebook hey we're bringing out a, a new copper color and bam every you know like the, the the recoil from that is like hundreds of people right trust yeah. her and know what she's doing and and can't wait to get one of these bags right if you didn't do a follow-up thing you know, on, on in the internet, you, you, there's always somebody faster. There's always somebody cheaper. Well, there's you, somebody you, willing to work yeah, harder too. Yeah, no loyalty. And, and so customer service is the most critical thing in business. I, it, we're at a very pivotal point for the grocery store industry right now because we're, Amazon is coming out with this thing called yeah, Go. Yes. So they go in, they swipe their, their phone, and they go and they take whatever groceries they want. There's an algorithm made up where they walk out and it totals up their thing. They don't even see a cashier or anything. So there's no human interaction. Wow. So I actually was doing something where <clears throat> I had a meeting with all my employees and I'm like, look, we're going to actually try to buck that system. And what we want to do here is create an experience when they come in here and to give them the best customer service that we know how to give them because that's what's going to differentiate us from them. Yep. We can tell them how to cook a steak, what steak to cook, yep. why they want to do that, who they're having over, who you know, do you want to impress them, this is what we're going to do. And that's what's going to be proprietary to us yep. that other people don't have anymore yep. and you know that's what we were raised on that's what my values are for, yeah. for the grocery you, store you will win uh, because th that system with go can only work for like what's the word like production type right. grocery yeah. grocery stores you know um and you'll You'll win because, um, well, you've seen in just in the San Diego area, the all of the traditional grocery stores are just losing out because everything's going organic and and they you can't know, pivot as fast as Derek no, can. No, no, they, just they, can't. They, they can't do that. And and as long as you're keeping up with what the the you know, like the market is demanding more healthy food, right. more natural foods, everything, and that's not going to happen on Amazon. Right. That they can only buy the prepackaged stuff that's mm -hmm. that's like just ground out of these horrible factories, you right. know, and that's going to fade out. You know, over yeah. the next 10, 15, 20 years, and everything's going to become really organic and healthy. Well, again. Amazon bought Whole Foods. Yes. So they're they're talking about putting their Amazon Go technology in Whole Foods. So when you grab it, you can just go out that way. Right. And, you know, that's, you know, going to be hard in itself. Um, but I still think for, for me personally that people want that human interaction still. When you start, and then, I think people are going to get savvy enough to know that pe that the Amazon they're putting people out of business. They're yeah. putting you know the the teenager who's their first job. You know, we just did a, a video. And we're we're getting these kids in here. I'm going to give them their first job and teach them how, what it is to to at the cash register or yeah. teach them about work ethic, about breaking down a load <laughs> and doing all those things that these Amazon places are are going to put these kids. Yeah. They're not going to have that that. Yeah, yeah they, it'll anymore. be different, but but again, those you know, Walmart did the sort of same thing. Sure. Um, it, it's it's a change of, of nature, but they're never going to get rid of the the human interaction. It's the people. Yeah, it the, gets pe back the to people. The, the people of the village, no matter where you are in the world, yeah. and we talk about it a lot on yeah. the podcast. Is you know, my my family's from Bulgaria, my grandfather's from Bulgaria, small villages. Right. There's something to always be said about having the trust of your local butcher yeah, or the sure. local shoemaker or because you go in and it's not just about, it's no longer about the shoe. Yeah. It's about the person that's and their family and that's who right. they, who they are and what's going on in their lives. Yep. And it's so much deeper and so much more meaningful. Yeah. That's no, critical. Yeah.
Yeah, I'm excited to know that that's what UGG was founded on. Yeah. That's really, really cool for me to to see that, to know that that's, I mean, there's still those those people that do, you know, create these businesses and have those, um, you know, that kind of character. Yeah. Well, let me give you an example with UGG on on just what loyalty is about. Um, This is sort of a long story. I hope you don't mind. No, no. (laughs) We're not going anywhere. But... uh, Let's fast forward, you know, we're doing seven or eight million. I brought in some new investors, these um, three new guys, Neil, Paul, and Joe, they were up from Anaheim, right? And we were all going to share the company, you know, 25% each. And and uh, eventually Neil bought the other two out, so it was him and me, and I still didn't get my stock issued because I had this trademark lawsuit I had to get rid of, which was part of the deal. But then, then Neil died, Right before I'd got my twenty-five percent, and so now I didn't even own the company, and his widow had never been inside the store. She had no idea what was going on. So I figured out, okay, I got to try and salvage this company for her and for me, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I was earning commissions on the sales. So I volunteered for pretty much you know, nine months. It was a, the hardest nine months of my life trying to figure out how you know where's this company at and where, you know, how are we going to keep it alive and. And my supplier, uh, we still were working with the one supplier, and he took it hard that, that Neil had died because he'd been getting really good cash flow, and he's remembering back to when I was running the company and it wasn't that <laughs> smooth, you know. And so um, it, it was the best and worst of times, you know. I, I'd brought in charcoal and black as two new colors, and they were just kicking ass out there in the field with all the sales reps. You know, the orders were just fantastic. And I'm calling up, you know, sending the orders down to the guy in Australia. And, uh, it was, his name was George, you know, in country leather. And, and, uh, I'd say, George, you know, have we just got another 6,000 pairs of orders this week? You know, have you started? Well, yeah. How are you going to pay me? I'm not sure you can, you know, pay me. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'd send it, Hey, George, another 8,000 pairs. You know, this black and charcoal are doing great. And he's, Well, I can't find the black and charcoal skins. You know, it's mm. like, and I started to realize he's, he's sort of blowing me off. And it, luckily, this started in, you know, Neil died in January, uh, from a, you know, motocross race. He was, he just had a massive heart attack, you know. So anyway, I, I was trying to raise money and I'd write a business plan and, 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 Take it around all the bankers. Oh, oh, it's a fad. It won't be around next year. You know, we're doing six or seven million dollars and, and it's been around 10, 12 years, right? And they still say it's a fad, right? And so I had no luck getting investors and I, and the orders are coming in and George has got another 10,000 pairs of orders. You know, have you started well? And, you know, Brian, I, I don't know how you can pay me, you know, and, and so it got to be, you know, August when I knew it was July, yeah. We, we, I knew that September was when we had to ship. So I'm figuring out George isn't going to be my buddy, right? So I think, okay, who else would benefit from this? And I eventually found a, a tannery in Australia that, that, um, was really interested. And I flew down there and met this guy, Gordon, you know, a great little, great guy. And he had this plaque on his desk that said, I reserve the right to change my mind, you know, it's just, <laughs> oh, what the hell is this, you know? <laughs> And, 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 you know, when we first got there, I was, yeah, Brian, let's get into this, man. We're going to take on the world, you know. And the next day it was, 
yeah, you know, there's so much risk. I don't sure I can put all this money into this and, you know, have it go to America. I can't control you. And the next day it was, don't worry, Brian. I found a guy who's in Los Angeles, a, you know, associate of mine. He's going to stop in and look after you. And the next day was, oh, my family doesn't want me to take all this risk. And, you know, it's a family business. And anyway, I left Australia at the tannery with, with no deal. Right. And I got back and, and the first, you know, day I got back, my local sales rep said, Brian, there's a, there's a guy out here on the road selling sheepskin boots and they claim they're going to be putting UGG out of business. And I said, well, you know, what's their name? And they said, well, it's a company called Thunderwear. And I looked them up in the, in the, uh, trade magazine and I go, well, shit, they're a windsurfing company. They make booties and gloves and neoprene. And I said, what the hell are they doing in sheepskin? And I just thought, oh, I got more bigger worries than that. You know, I threw it aside, you know. And so I kept trying to raise money and I tra- kept trying to find other manufacturers and had no luck. And it, it now got to be September. It's a trade show that kicks off the season. And I thought, you know, God, I, I'm sort of out of business because I got no new supply chains. And, uh, but I didn't want to admit defeat yet. So I ended up, you know, going to the trade show, we put up the booth and I didn't tell any of my salespeople, right. you know, that I didn't have product. And we ended up, you know, finishing up setting up the trade show booth. And I thought, okay, I wonder where these Thunderwear guys are, you know. And I looked them up in the directory and, and you know, they were way over in the back. So I walked over towards where they were and I like stopped a couple of booths short and went, oh, shit. There was all my black, all my charcoal, oh. all the new, you know, all the old colors and everything. And it was all of my production from George. Oh. And they, they called their boots thugs from Thunderwear <laughs> to thugs. thugs, you know. And I thought, thugs. shit, that's so appropriate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> totally know? appropriate. And, and right then I knew uh, that's it. I'm out of business, you know. And, uh, but I just still didn't tell anybody. We went through the trade show and my wife was the only person that knew. And I said, you know, we'll go through the motions and on, on Monday we'll call all the retailers and tell them to go buy thugs, you know. And so, you know, I got back to San Diego after we finished, you know, ripping down the trade show booth and, uh, I called up George, uh, Gordon, you know, from the, from the tannery. Mm-hmm. And I said, Gordon, look, you know, we've tried the hardest and thanks so much for all the, you know the help you tried to give us trying to get it going but you know this is what george has done and you know and then looks like we you know my wife and i decided to shut the business down and we'll call all the customers and and he was sad you know we hung up and then about you know two o'clock in the morning the phone rings and it's brian it's gordon screw george i'll get you all the boots you need and just like that we were back in business again you know and and you know he we sent the patents down to Australia and he just, you know, copied them and sent them out to four or five manufacturers and he cranked his tannery up to massive production. And after a couple of weeks, we'd get, you know, 2,000 pairs in and then the next Friday was 5,000 pairs. And every Friday from then on, from, you know, October, November, December, we got 5,000 pairs in every week. And, uh, re- you know, I'd put half of it aside to ship to the rest of the country and the other half was California. And the retailers weren't even waiting for UPS. They, they drove down to our, wow. to our warehouse oh, really? and picked up boots every Friday. That's awesome. So every Saturday we were completely empty. The demand was there. Yeah. And we threw away at least a million dollars worth of orders at wholesale that year. 
But I didn't give a shit because we were still in business mm -hmm. and there was product out there with UG labels on. And he, here's the interesting thing. Between Christmas and New Year, which is always a dead time, uh, two weird things happened. One is that the, you know Neil and I had taken out life insurance policies on each other, you know, because you know when when he bought the other guys out, it was going to be him and me. Right. And the life insurance policy paid out, and it was just enough to buy the business back a hundred percent from his widow. Wow, and she she was ecstatic because she she would have lost everything, and now she got good value. And I used the same contract when they bought it from me. I just changed the names, you know, yeah. <laughs> front and back, you know. Right. So exactly the same terms. And so she was stoked. And uh, the other thing was that the customs brokers screwed up and they shipped 2,000 pairs of thug boots to me and 1,000 <laughs> pairs of my boots up to the, the thugs warehouse, you know. So I went up to uh, San Clemente to swap them out because it was, you know, about a 45-minute drive. And I, I swapped them you know, over, and and as I was driving back, you know, to San Diego, I, I was thinking, you know, how come we couldn't keep boots in the warehouse for 24 hours, and the thugs' warehouse, which is you know way bigger than ours, was floor to ceiling full of sheepskin boots, and that's when I realised the loyalty of my customers was so powerful that they were willing to forgo nearly $2 million worth of retail sales rather than buy the knockoffs because they all knew the story. And that is customer loyalty. Well, and if you can't, you know, develop customer loyalty, you're never going to get through the bad times. They're going to abandon you. And that, that, that to me was probably the most telling statement about human nature and, and sales and marketing and follow-up and customer loyalty that, that that encapsulates what every business should be about well that's what businesses are realizing today they need to get back to the why yeah you know and it's the bigger the brand the bigger the business the harder it is to get back to that and you, you lived it yeah you know you yeah. lived it and you not only lived it with your customers and your vendors and the people that were loyal to you but you know it became it became the brand yes and, that, and that's and, what that loyalty and, and is. that's it's a good point your brand is not your logo and your brand is not your trademark registration and your brand is not the product the brand is what consumers think of you right so everyone that walks out of this grocery store they understand your brand. They're either pissed off with it or they're in love with it. Absolutely. And it's up to you to tell which one's which. Absolutely. That's uh did we ever figure out whatever happened to thugs? <laughs> you know, I don't I never saw I the can't believe they came out with thugs. That's yeah, just, that's, that's a that's bold right. move. I never I mean, saw the product on, in the marketplace. No. And they must have they must <laughs> I never have, even heard of it. They must have found some wholesaler that got rid of them somewhere. You That's know? fucking incredible. They probably got shipped off to Japan or something. You it's know? a terrible naming decision. Yeah. It's a terrible naming decision, and yeah. it's terrible just to do that in general because, I mean, if that's what your business is based off of and you're doing that – that's your concept. I mean, you're, you're a copycat. Yeah. No yeah. Wants to yeah. Just watch yeah. it. Just do that. And, and again, remember we talked about roots. They were coming into a business cold thinking they're going to make millions of dollars yep. sure. off my misadventures sure. and misfortune. But they didn't have roots, and so there was nothing they could build on. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about I mean, if I – if we opened up the restaurant in 2008 and say we opened downtown and we were automatically successful, I don't think we'd be open today. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what we had to claw and scrap and just fight like hell just to stay open and yep. to pivot and to do different things yep. just to keep the fucking doors open. That's and I'm, I'm can't be more grateful 
that that was my journey. Yeah. I'll tell you, your most disappointing disappointments will always become your greatest blessings. That's another philosophy in my book, yeah. you know. But isn't that and, funny? You would never think that. No. When you're, it, in, the, when you're really in the moment, wouldn't. you're like, oh, but, shit. But everything that fucks up is is leading you to a stronger, better solution mm-hmm. every every single time. Tell me about uh, she'll be right, mate. <laughs> that's that's like everyone knows you know put a shrimp on the barbie they yeah. think that's the australian saying but she'll be right mate is is uh is, is it's like used every time there's a screw up you know yeah like you know if you back into your friend's driveway wall and break it you know oh she'll be right mate i'll go down to the hardware store and get some stuff and fix it you know <laughs> she'll be right mate that and you know, when I first bought the samples of Uggs in, you know, they, they were horrible. You know, they glue all over the uppers and everything. <laughs> and, and I complained to my manufacturer, you know, he said, oh, she'll be right, mate. Just sell them like they are. And that's, what we, that's what we do here, you know. You're so, like, I'm trying to build quality here. Yeah, she'll be right, mate. Might not work for uh, that's, that's the American a, market. That's a great saying. That's funny. Yeah, one of the things you did touch on was uh, things that people typically don't talk about until they become an issue, and that's, you know, the – the family side of business and the succession plans, um, you know, yeah. for Derek and I personally, I mean, we almost, we almost died in Del Mar because of a barbecue explosion. And really? it takes stuff like that to start thinking about life insurance policy. Wow. I never, even, never even about, thought about that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for, for me, you know, Garrett Bleakley and the Bleakley's with Northwestern, they've done an incredible job just to make sure that if something happens to me, my wife gets taken care That's of. That's so critical. Yeah. Um, Talk about the life insurance and how it kind of, uh, you know, I, I know you touched on it, but. Yeah, well, without that, I mean, um, I, w- I wouldn't be where it is today. I, I would have died. Yeah. You know, it, it gave me the ability to buy his widow out. And then uh, I still had no money, but I owned the business 100% now, right? Sure. So it gave me a completely new lease on life. And I was able then to raise enough capital to. Uh, start, you know, keep the company going. And then we grew like, like really fast over the next couple of years and, uh, got it up to where, you know, again, I needed bigger investors and, and you know, got the final ones in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was the group that we ran with and it ended up selling the business. So yeah, that life insurance was critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had to do it. I mean, we I had to take out multiple things for myself, just for one for the business itself yeah. to make sure that all the debts are covered, yeah. and then one for me personally with my wife to make sure that yeah. she has something when yeah. my ass is gone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's things that we do talk about as you know, as much as we're out there and Derek and I are doing everything we can. It's if it wasn't for our wives that are at home, yeah. that are you know, Derek's wife also works and she's ready yeah. to have another child, and he's. Yeah. You know, doing everything he can to run this place, to keep the sure, business going, to keep sure. the big the big picture going. But you got to have that support at home. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The support is 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 big because if she doesn't buy into the vision, then I mean, you're you're going at it alone, and no, you know that's just not. It's, it's a very it's em- empty life if you're doing that. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, the book. So, any advice for for? I mean, I know this was something that we, we talked about it before we started the podcast, but, um, you know, you said you, how long did the process take you to write it? Um, very quick. Um, I, I, well, quick and, <laughs> and slow, right? Quick and low it, and it, slow. Was, it was yeah, very quick to write it, but, it, but it was 30 years in put, you know, 20 years putting, you know, information. I, I created a file, you know, I, I thought this theme, you can't give birth to adults. And I just kept throwing, 
little things in there over the years, you know, that'd be good in a book one day, you know. So even though um, the, the actual book writing took two months with me in front of the computer just going, you know, year by year by year through, and luckily I found all my personal diaries from the day I arrived in America. So I had 25 years worth of, of history that I could refer back to and get the timing right. Well, that's all the details. It's yeah, all the meticulous was, notes you took, like as an accountant. Well, well, it wasn't meticulous notes at the time. It was like, <laughs> it was, fuck, this just <laughs> happened. And I'd write some angry note, you know, in, in my diary, like, fuck, why did that happen, you know? And God damn, don't let this happen again. Be, you know, and I, right. that was the stuff that was in there. That's right? the good stuff. Plus That's all, the stuff that people yeah, want to read. Plus all my appointments, you know, and that, that would bring up names and I'd think, oh, that, oh, guy, that, fucking that, guy. that guy turned out to be a dick. Or, you know, <laughs> or this one, this was really pivotal in, in my success, you know. So that was what the Daily Planner was about. And I still do that to this day. I mean, I, I, here it is right next to me. Yep. Right? Absolutely. And, and you know, in, in, in there I've got my uh, four mantras, you know, which I have in the book also. And I've carried this forward for 25 years into my Daily Planner. And the four mantras are feast upon uncertainty, fatten upon disappointment, invigorate in the presence of difficulties, and enthuse over apparent defeat. And those four statements are absolutely the reason I stayed in business and I'm still doing what I do today is because there's, there's nothing that can happen to you in, in either business or your personal life that if you take those four mantras like feast upon uncertainty, God, you, we don't know what's happening next year, sure. you know, down the road. Uh, you know, invigorating the presence of difficulties, you know, well, shit, well, look at me back when, you know, thugs took over the market, you know. And right. I, I, I had a choice to give up then. Right. I could have sure. easily give up then, you know. But, uh, but no, fuck it, I'm going you know, to beat this, you know. And so those four mantras, and, and, you know, if you buy the book, they'll, they'll become your favorite things in yeah. the book. And so, yeah, that's critical. So, so things like that were, were in my daily planner, and that made the book very easy to finish up in two months. And uh, I wrote 120,000 words, and then the editors go, well, shit, Brian, this part's really interesting to you, but it's not going <laughs> to be really interesting to the readers, right? So, so they got it down to 70 from 120, you know. Wow. Uh, which was a, uh, and they did a great job. So, oh, so, so the book is job. just, it's like a roadmap for entrepreneurs. Yeah. And it talks about the good stuff as well as the bad well, stuff. Well, it's all the details. It's, yeah. I mean, you, you put the surf shop owner in there. And for someone that grew up in San Diego, you know, yeah. both Derek and I, you're, you're highlighting all these incredible places that we love and we hold dear yeah. to our hearts. Yeah. And that you know, was I'm not, point. I'm not a surfer, but I, I, I grew up whomping, yeah. you know, down at, down at Law Street, Marine Street. And yeah. Those, those are just, it's such a cool thing. Mm -hmm to think about the birth of the brand yeah you know the yeah. birth of the brand it's been really cool and how about when you see the brand now when you see tom brady wearing oh Uggs, I'm, or you so, see I'm so proud Rian yeah. i mean yeah. oprah yeah. winfrey has it on as yeah. The, yeah how does that feel oh it's insane it, it, it's like you know in the theme of of giving birth to adults right you know you you, you go through maturity and so I'd got the business up to about as big as I could build it. Uh, we were looking at having a, a $20 million season. And, and this is a cool story, right? Why, why, and how I sold it, right? Um, remember where I was selling the boots out of the back of the van at Malibu? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, there were a couple of spaces up. There was another guy, Doug Otto, and he was often there with his van and he was selling these neoprene sandals. They were like 
three inches tall. They were triple, you know, pink, yellow, pink yep. neoprene. And they were called Triple Deckers. And he ended up, his company shortened it just to Deckers Corporation. Well, he was, he and I were crisscrossing on the road all the time, you know, in, in different retail, you know, surf shops and stuff. And I, we used to joke, you know, you should buy me out. And I go, oh, you can't afford it. But, you, know, <laughs> you know, and we'd, we'd be joking all the time. But, well, he eventually uh, took on a license of Tiva sandals. And then there was this period where the outdoor market took off and Tiva went, you know, ballistic. They went from, from like 10 million to 60 million. And he took his company public eventually. And, uh, this is, I'm fast forwarding now, you know, like 20 years, right? And, uh, so here he was, uh, with a public company and, uh, I'm here now with, with, you know, $20 million sales looking down. I, I had no way to finance it. And I was at the, um, uh, going to a trade show in Atlanta called the Super Show, a big sporting goods show. And I arrived at baggage claim and way up the other end of the baggage claim is Doug, you know, and, and I went, Oh, I got goosebumps again. You know, Oh shit. It's perfect. You know, he was sitting on 25, $30 million worth of cash from the IPO. And I knew his company died every winter and we died every summer. I went, it's perfect, you know. So I walked all the way down there and we saw each other and we were high-fived and I said, Doug, if ever we're going to do it, now's the time. And we had the accountants talking to each other that afternoon. Wow. wow. And and a year later, the, you know, all the documentation got done and we signed the, the transfer. So, you know, we sold out for cash, which was sort of like going public without having to go public. So right. That's huge. It was a fantastic exit for me. That's huge. And so the reason I told you that story is that, you know, when, when I wasn't selling it off and walking away from it, it was like walking my daughter down the aisle at the church sure. and handing her off to a new husband. Right. And then they were going to start a whole new life together and blossom into something else. And blossom. And, yeah. and boy, shit, it blossomed. It, <laughs> you it, could say you that. Know, it, it, this is the sixth year. I think it's been in the billions. It's incredible. Right. And Absolutely so, incredible. so what a great story. And, and, and people say, am I, you know, envious or jealous shit no way I, i'm still part of that story and i love every time i walk by somebody wearing uggs i always turn around and look behind me you know, sure. to see if it's the ugg label you know yeah, right? it's like i'm so proud of it you know i see it on billboards i see it in magazines uh, you know i go god damn well, that's so cool i've really touched a lot of people on the planet absolutely and you're also you're still giving back you're you're doing speaking yeah. engagements for yeah. companies and- yeah believe it or not yeah when the recession hit i sort of got wiped out of another business i'd started and that's when i wrote the book and that I never planned on being a speaker, but the book was so successful it led me onto the stage, you know, to promote it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had people coming up to me afterwards, going, "Oh my god!" You know, one girl in particular, she 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 left me a note said, "I got to run." And I read that note when I got back to the hotel room that night, and she goes, "Brian, I was I was planning on you know giving up my business this week, but now I realise I'm still in the infancy, and I'm just I'm going to make a commitment to to get you know." That's incredible. And when I realized that, that you know, so many people were telling me the same thing after I'd come off stage, I just realized, my God, I love this. Right. You know, I, this is my give back. I love helping entrepreneurs. You're trying to pay it forward. Yeah. Doing what you yeah. can to help out. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. It's just, it's, it's so fulfilling. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what we talk about. That's the fulfillment that, that we want to, yeah. because that's, 
that's the substance that I want in life cool. is, is just being able to feel those, those feelings. And it's, um, like, again, not the transactional thing. It's just that, that feel that you get when you're doing those things. And so that seems to be what's exciting you now. You know, you're, you're done and you're getting to help out with different companies. And yeah. Get, yeah. It's hel- helping and, good companies, you know, especially successful ones who are crippled by their ability to get product because they don't have enough money for, for buying for inventory. That's my favorite sort yeah. of client. But yeah, it's just giving back from the stage is, is really good. Well, I was just looking at those, uh, um, what do you, do you call them satchels or sashes? Or? Sash, the sash yeah. bags, yeah. Well, we're just, uh, we're going to have to get some for my sister. I'm going to buy she'll, some of she'll, those. Yeah. She'll, she'll love you for it now, yeah. I tell you. There you yeah. go. Yeah. She'll get a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> See how, how they like it. But I mean, just having that human interaction, Sean and I, I know we do it for our caterings, but we write handwritten letters. Oh, you know, brilliant. To, to brilliant. different, um, yeah. every catering we do, we write a handwritten letter saying thank you that we, we, um, appreciate their See, business. That's customer service. That's incredible. People love it. Yeah. We, uh, you, you become personal. Yeah, yeah. When we went to, to Texas, uh, and short story about Heath Hall, he has a company. He was on Shark Tank. He got right. Barbara Corcoran to invest and she got him into this meeting. And this meeting was with Costco and it was all these head executives. And, right. you know, he didn't think that they did a good job in the pitch, but he sent an email, a, a handwritten letter saying, thank you for your time. Right. He said in 20 years working at Costco, no one's ever done that. Unbelievable. And it set him apart from everything else. And then so they started cool. selling in the stores. So cool. yeah, really yeah. cool. Uh, but one of the things uh, this week, uh, Derek. This is going to be a hard one to pronounce, man. It is a hard one to pronounce, but we do uh, want to give them a shout out. Um, go for it. How Cow, How and Cow, 888, social shout out um, in Indonesia. They are tagging us on Behind the Smoke on our Instagram, and we're just thankful that they're uh, reaching out and, and listening, and um, hopefully we're giving them the content that they like, and uh, we're just it's, it's pretty cool. It's humbling to yeah. know that, you know, I mean, butcher shops in Israel and people in Canada and people in Norway. And I mean, they're just building their business. And like we said, it's part of the village. And the coolest thing about the internet, the coolest thing about iTunes podcasting is the internet. It's, it's leveled the playing field. I mean, my totally. grand, my grandfather, he read every single book in the village. He had to go and go out of the village to a city so that he could work for a doctor so he could get more books. But now in that same village in Bulgaria, if he has access, if, if, a, if a young boy has access to the internet, they can learn whatever they want. It's, it's totally leveled. The it's incredible. Field. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I'm very humbled and, and thankful that you came on today and, and spent the time to well, talk my with pleasure. us. Thanks Valley, a lot. Yeah. It's uh, been exciting and very insightful for us to be able to listen and it gives us something to, to strive for, to, to be. And, you know, we think about ourselves on such a, um, micro level and to know that you know the things that you did are kind of the, the, the same roots and right. there's a, a macro vision for it so right. again, thank you so much for <clears throat> coming out and, and coming cool. how, how can people find you uh on the website it's uh, brian at ug founder ugg founder.com okay we'll put that in the show notes um so everything we cool. did talk about it is all those things plus more in the book so i highly highly recommend cool. people getting so, that book. so can i leave with my favorite quote oh, from, please. from the book absolutely okay this is all about being in the now okay the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is live every day happily as a tadpole and what that just means is do every every day, just do your best at whatever it is you're doing. And in time, you'll look back and go, oh, shit, I've really grown. And right. you can, I know you can 
see I that in, in your own lives. And sure. that to me is my favorite piece of philosophy out of the whole book. So well, that's an incredible. So everybody way. can, yeah. everybody can live in the now happily. Yeah. That's that's the point of life. Yeah, we that's really true. try to do that too as fathers to make yes. sure that we're not looking for that yeah. next stage and just loving our kids for, at the stage yeah. that are right now. Critical. Well, yeah, they grow so fast. Yeah. Thank you so much for hey, your time. Well, thanks for having me, man. This has been a blast. Well, we, awesome. We've talked about a lot of stuff I never ever talk but about. We, so yeah, that's, we that's uh, cool. we do different. We think we do things differently out here in Spring Valley. And we, <laughs> if you ever need anything from Derek or I, we're, we're friends forever now. Deal. Um, so we really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Hey guys, this is Sean and Derek, and we just really want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It means the world to us. We'd like you to go check out BehindTheSmokeMedia.com. That's our website where we have barbecue resources for you to help build your barbecue business. Uh, we also have events listed, so anything that's happening in the West Coast barbecue movement, uh, anything that's going on, we want you to go check that out so you can learn more and get involved. We also have show notes uh, from all the episodes, so anything we talked about in the episodes, you can find detailed show notes there. Um, plus, you can just get in touch with us. It's important that uh, we're here as a resource for you, so please reach out. Let us know how Derek and I can help you with your barbecue journey. Uh, get involved, stay curious, and uh, follow us on social at Barbecue War Stories. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.